0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, good morning to all of you. Hey, you're even awake. Bonus outstanding it's great to have you here i'm jay i'm the lead pastor there are some of you i don't recognize and i'm assuming you're our guests so welcome on behalf of everyone around you and this is
1: i am becca lamber i am our hospitality and next steps ministry leader um I would like to welcome you as well and let you know that if you are new or a returning guest, um, we would love to hear from you. So these are our connection cards. They're in the seat backs in front of you. If you fill one of those out and turn it in, um, either to any staff member, volunteer, or in the giving boxes in the back, um, I will personally connect with you during the week and would love to grab coffee with you, get to know you a little bit better. So um, those are there. What do we have next?
0: Well, we want to invite you into the life of the church and just call your attention to some things that are going on. And one of those things is called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. You know, knowing the Lord is more than just knowing. It's living that out in our relationship with Him as well as our relationships with others. And this is a fantastic um, program. I hate to call it a program. I don't really want to call it a class because it's very engaging and very meaningful. But all that being said, this is a game changer. I personally have gone through this. And it has equipped me to better live out my faith and love and trust in Jesus in the relationships with those around me. And we just want to invite you into this. This is going to be kicking off on February 16th, which is a Thursday, 6.30, 30 p.m. I believe it goes for 13, 8 weeks. Okay, 8 weeks. So we hope that you'll consider being a part of that. You can register um, out in the lobby or you can register on your phone or through our website.
1: There is childcare as well. So if you're considering coming, you don't need to find a babysitter.
0: Fantastic. We can take care of that for you. <laughs> Outstanding. Yep. Well, what do we have next, ma'am? Next,
1: we have the Women's Prayer and uh, Worship Night. That is happening this Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, we would love if all you ladies could come join us. Our goal as a women's ministry team is just to come alongside you um, and equip you to become more Christ-like and love your neighbors. Um, as you love yourself so if you would uh, join us we would love to see you there
0: and ladies if any of you are new to our community this is a fantastic way to go deeper in your relationships or just to meet some other ladies so we hope you'll consider coming and being a part of this so guess what time of year it is it's tax time Yay! We all look forward to that. And there are a number of you who um, give so generously and consistently and sacrificially here at Grace to our mission and vision. And we have giving statements available for you. You can pick those up in the lobby. And if we don't get it to you, we'll just then mail it to you. But uh, thank you for that. And there are a number of those out there because there's a number of you who faithfully give to the mission and vision here at Grace. Now, if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here and this isn't for you. But if you are part of our church family, and this is your church home. We ask you and encourage you to join the rest of us who give to the mission and vision here, because we believe it matters. And the resources that we collectively pool together as an act of worship to God are then used to really enable us to do all the things we do in the community. And one of those things is we're able to sort of able to support a fantastic entity known as Pregnancy Resource Centers right here in Gresham. This happens to be Sanctity of Life Sunday, where we'd very deliberately take some time to remember that God is the giver of life, that we celebrate life and the Pregnancy Resource Center here in Gresham is, has a phenomenal impact in our community, but last year it was firebombed and um, taken out of commission for a while. And so um, they needed a place to, to be able to store their stuff while they rebuild and repair what happened there. So because of your giving, we were able to say, hey, we have the resources to rent a container and drop it here on our property to keep your stuff in until you're ready to open again. And that, that kind of stuff happens all the time where we're able to step in and resource somebody or someone Because of your generosity. So know that when you give to the mission and vision here at Grace, those resources go into changing people's lives. And we just thank you for that and celebrate that. Let me pray for our time together. Lord, again, thank you that we are gathered here. Thank you for the time of music worship we've had to sing to you, to hopefully hear from you. And Lord, we ask now that as we open your word together, that you would make it come alive to us. We pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, it's not only relevant and practical, but life-changing because it is all of these things. So Lord, we invite you to continue to do your work. May we hear you. May we see you. May we listen to you. May we have hearts that are willing to respond to you. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. Thank you, Becca. Amen. So if you are newer to our community here, to our church family, we have been in a series through the Gospel of John. And you're joining us, I don't know, about a quarter of the way through. We're at John chapter 6 this week, and I'm very excited to, to dive into this. And we'll actually be in John 6 for a couple of weeks. It's a very significant chapter. And we're doing the first part today. And uh, you may or may not know this if you're newer to our church family, but we do life really and ministry in teams around here. So we have a preaching team. I am one of several who are part of our preaching team. Sean Rowley preached last week, and we'll get back to what he preached about here in just a minute. But we work on our sermons as a team. So every Tuesday we meet at a local restaurant here, and we gather together, and there is a grid that the elders have developed for us, our leadership team has developed for us, that, that really is a series of checkpoints for every sermon and we grid every week's sermon through those values and we talk about that together. Where do we hit it? Where did we maybe miss it? And then we spend time together preparing for the next sermon. So understand, every sermon you hear up here has six different pairs of fingerprints on it. It's not my sermon. It's something we've developed as, as a preaching team. And so last Tuesday when I showed up for preaching team after missing every single red light on the way there, which is one of my many spiritual gifts, I got there a little bit late. And so I had some letters that I had volunteered to, to mail for, for Jamie and I. And so I said, Jamie, let me take them. So I took them with me to preaching team. There's a mailbox that sits right across the street from the restaurant where we meet. So I got to the restaurant a little late, so I was just kind of in a hurry. So I ran across the street, took the letters, opened the little you know door, dropped the mail in, and let the door go. And then I saw it. There was this big red sticker that said "Out of Service." Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. Oh no, seriously, Jay, really? And so I was late. So I had to go into preaching team. So I went in, and you know, we, we had our time together, and it was rich as always. And I came out, and I said, okay, now, where am I gonna find a crowbar or a sledgehammer to get, to get that out of there, and no one will see me, and I'll just say, you know, I'm from East Hill or something. So, um, so just kidding, just kidding. We love our East Hill brethren, yeah. Um, and, uh, and anyway, so this, my mind's very busy, as I'm coming out of the restaurant thinking, how am I gonna retrieve those letters? And I walk out to where the mailbox was, and it's gone. They literally came and got it within the hour that I mistakenly put my my mail in. And so as I'm processing this, I'm thinking, how did I miss it? It was a big red sticker. It was right there, out of service. And I still you know, put my own mail in there, so I totally missed it. Well, I had a very similar experience in preparing for this passage that we're gonna go through here today. Now, if you've been a part of Grace for any length of time, um, you've heard a number of sermons. And on Christmas Eve, in the years I've been here as your lead pastor, I preached my 600th sermon. Yeah, some of you have endured 600 sermons, and you're going, how did we do that? But, yeah, thank you, you're gracious. Some of you are going, oh man, that's a lot of sermons. This is sermon number 602, and part of those 601 sermons where twice now we've gone through this very passage that I'm about to preach again here today. And in preparing for this passage, I had an aha moment where I went, no way. I've never seen that before in this passage. And God's word is like that. You can read the same passage over and over again. And because it's God's word, not just a book, but written by God for us to know him better, he reveals himself to you. And you just, you read these things and you go, how did I miss that? I mean, it's always been right there. And, and that's the beauty and power of God's word. All that being said, as we read this passage this morning, and really as we go through the next handful of weeks in chapter 6, there is a lens that we're going to, in particular, look at these verses through. And it's this. The gospel writer John, very deliberately now, is be- going to begin to show us that Jesus is a greater Moses. And he's gonna make all these comparisons and allusions to Moses, who was hugely important in the life of the Jewish people and who the law was given to and then he gave the law to the people. All that being said, Jesus is going to be portrayed as the greatest Moses and the reason this matters for you and me is as we go through these next couple weeks in chapter six, you will see the realities of Jesus being the greater Moses pop up over and over and over again. If you were with us last week, Sean preached a, a fantastic sermon on the authority of Jesus that precedes this passage and that's really what all this is about. It's about the authority of Jesus, his authority over everything and everyone, his authority over life and death, his authority to judge the world is what we looked at last week with Sean, and now that authority is going to be exampled and amplified and illustrated through what he does. And as Jesus was talking to the religious leaders who were resisting him and opposing him, he says this, leading into our passage here today, but Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you had believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So with that Moses idea and filter in mind, now let's go to John chapter 6. How does Jesus compare to Moses, even in this story? So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they going to go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down, and about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So let's begin to work our way through this amazing passage. So he crosses to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, it's known as the, the region of Bethsaida. And I've been there, thanks to you. In 2016, you sent Jamie and me to Israel with some of our crew here from Grace. And I've, I've been where this is. And it's, it's amazing. And you can see where thousands of people would be able to sit down and, and eat together. And it says the Jewish Passover festival was near. Talk about a link to Moses. Who was the one who led the people out of Egypt from captivity, passed through the Red Sea, and then into freedom, into the presence of God? Moses. Yeah. Yeah. And when the people wandered for 40 years in the desert, how were they fed? God provided manna and quail and fed them. So food and water and the exodus, they have all these powerful pictures of things that happened in Israel history that, that Moses was a part of. And it says now, very deliberately, the Jewish Passover festival was near, which celebrated the exodus, right? And we're going to look at that lens even more here in the coming weeks. But you you have these dynamics going on. And so it says that Jesus turned to Philip, of all people, and he tests him. And scholars have wondered, why would he single out Philip? In fact, this Miracle is recorded in all four Gospels. It's the only one that's in all four Gospels besides the resurrection of Jesus that makes all four Gospels as well But this is the only miracle that's in all four and John gives us this detail that it was Philip And some have put forward and I think it's reasonable. Jesus turns to Philip because Philip's from that area He's from Bethsaida So he would know the available resources and quite frankly Philip seems like kind of a pessimist here. Does he not? I mean jesus really half half a month half a year 's wages, so hopefully you have a savings account I, I do I have a savings account. Do you have half a year 's worth of savings in your savings account i don 't most of us don 't, and that 's the point. They are overwhelmed and helpless and hopeless really to do something about this, and it says that Jesus is putting them in that place. He's testing them. And this is something really, really important for us to understand. When Jesus tests us, he always wants us to pass the test. As you think back, the teachers you had, the professors you've had, can you think of the ones who you knew wanted you to succeed, wanted you to pass whatever test they put in front of you? We're in your corner? Now, you ever had teachers or professors who it felt like were out for you, that they were giving you tests that you couldn't possibly hope to pass, and you really wondered if they had your best interests in mind? When Jesus tests us, he has our best interests in mind. No one wants us to pass the test more than he does. When Satan tempts us, when our enemy tempts us, he always wants us to fail. And he's doing everything in his power to make sure that you fail. But Jesus, when he tests us, he wants us to pass. Okay, we get it. Okay. So you ever felt hopeless and helpless and overwhelmed? Ever felt like Philip? Where all of a sudden something's put in front of you and you, you, how am I gonna do that? Ever felt like God abandoned you? or put you in an unfair place because of that? And it's times like those that we remind ourselves that that trusting him is more than just what we see or even what our culture says is king, what we feel. That sometimes faith is about what you know and especially about who you know, not about what you see or what about you feel. And so... Andrew enters the story now, and he brings this boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish to Jesus, and there's a lot going on here. For starters, whenever you see Andrew, and this is a really admirable quality about him, Andrew is always bringing someone to Jesus, always. When he first met Jesus, who does he bring to Jesus? His brother. He's the one who brought Simon Peter to Jesus. Here he's bringing a boy to Jesus. Later on, we'll read that he brings some Greeks who want to see Jesus to Jesus. He's a great example for us. In fact, that's the kind of culture we want here at Grace. We want to bring people and introduce them to Jesus. And if you're here and you haven't brought someone with you, then we want you to be looking around to include someone in community and relationship. You're either a bringer or you're an includer if you're part of this church family every morning, every time we gather together. And our example, are our disciples like Andrew, one of the, the most important thing you and I can do is to bring someone to Jesus. But let's move along here. It says the boy had some, some barley loaves and two small fish. This was the food of the poor. Barley was, was basically what the poor could afford. And this is all he has. And this is, this is pretty amazing because children in that culture Um, were valued for what they could contribute because it's an agrarian culture. You need all hands on deck working to feed and provide and sustain the family. And so children oftentimes were overlooked, considered insignificant, or even insufficient. And who is it that brings the food to Jesus? It's a boy. And God delights in using those who are overlooked by everybody else. So how many people were there, by the way? Yeah, you're hesitating and you're wise to do so because we know that that's a representative number. 5,000 were the heads of the households, so they're counting families basically. That's not including the women, that's not including the children, presumably many of them were married, presumably many of them had children. We're talking 10,000 people, 15,000, some scholars think even as high as 20,000 people, so... Because I'm excited for Super Bowl, I fast forward it to next week in the last service. It's not next week, it's in three weeks. So in three weeks, on that amazing American holiday known as Super Bowl, 20,000 people show up to your house for Super Bowl. And Jesus says, yeah, you feed them. I'm Gonna feel a little overwhelmed? I mean, it doesn't take much to enter this story. And so Andrew, maybe in contrast to Philip, isn't a pessimist. He's a realist. Okay, this is all we got. And Jesus says, that's enough. He has him sit down and he gives thanks. And again, this is just a reminder to me that Jesus modeled to us this attitude, this posture of thankfulness. And by way of example, when we're eating, we we choose to pray before we do that, not because it's ritual or because we have to, it's because we get to and choose to. It's a way of remembering that everything we have is from God. So that's, that's why we thank him, even for our food. And it says they distributed it. And, and this is where it's, it's pretty cool because they continue to distribute it. And, to, and it's not that everyone had just enough to eat. This isn't like a Costco sample. You know, you go to Costco, they give you just enough to reel you in. You're not full. You're actually more hungry. This is everyone is satisfied. This is about abundance. And plenty. There is so much left over, they've got to gather it up. And, and scholars, again, have talked a lot about this. That does that symbolism of 12 point to the 12 disciples? Does it point to the 12 tribes of Israel? Is the answer yes? You know, it, it's both. What is pretty fairly understood and accepted is that this is representative of the reality that all of God's people got fed miraculously. Abundantly, generously Does that remind you of something that Moses did In the history of the people And yes, for 40 years He literally fed millions of people Through God's provision Of manna and and quail But here's where there's a very important distinction It was just enough For the people each day Jesus does a provision miracle And it's an abundance It's more than they need and that is that is the heart of God, to bless. And so you have all these pieces left over. I mean, it's just, it's such a cool story. So like you and I probably would, they get pretty excited about this. This is really cool. And so they, they, they assume that Jesus is the prophet. And you're going, well, what's that? And if you don't have some Old Testament Um, reference it, it doesn't make a lot of sense but again going back to Moses and this is another tie to Moses when Moses was giving the people the law in Deuteronomy 18 he tells them a prophet is going to come after me who you need to listen to and so many Jews thought oh that's the Messiah and so they're beginning to get their heads around could could Jesus be the Messiah maybe he is the prophet But then they take it even further, at least some of them, and they want to make him a king. And this is what's so ironic. They want to make the king of kings a political king. Interesting. So let's step back and look at some of the larger realities in play with this amazing story. Are you hungry this morning? As we're talking about all this food and bread and fish, and maybe that's not your deal, but... Are you hungry? I am. I don't eat breakfast on Sunday mornings. I'm just not hungry. I get up early enough that I don't have an appetite, so I just kind of power through on caffeine and the Holy Spirit. And then I crash (laughs) when I get home. Ask Jamie, what's Jay doing? Sleeping. It's about two o'clock. What's Jay doing? Sleeping. But we're not talking about that kind of hunger. We're not talking about a brunch or a lunch. Go deeper with me here. Are you hungry? I am. It's a reality that we all face. Every single one of us is hungry, and I will prove it to you. And much of this is counterintuitive, but much of it is self-evident. I don't think you'll need a lot of convincing. Jamie and I have been married 31 years. When Jamie married me, Jamie, that's my wife, yeah. When Jamie married me 31 years, She signed up to meet all my needs with that. You recognize that, right? Jamie, did we ever talk about that part? She's in this service. My wife loves me, God bless her, and cares for me. (laughs) Yeah, I know, that's a miracle in and of itself. Believe me, she's incredible. Um, You know, she's my best friend, and I love her deeply. But should she be on the hook to meet all my needs? Well we talk about it like that. I go, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. That's silly, of course not. But do I treat her that way? For those of you who are married, do you look to your spouse to meet needs that they can't possibly meet? Of course you do. Because sometimes I do. Because we, we have this hunger for something more. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with me? Or is that the right question? Let's test drive this another way. Let's go to work. All of us work. Even my friends who are retired say, I work. I just redirect my work, but I, I work. I don't get paid to what I do now, or whatever. But work is a, a part of all of our lives. I, I love being your pastor, or one of your pastors. I'm not one of your pastors because I have to be. I choose to be I want to be because I love you and I love being your pastor most days (laughs) but there are days even on the best days the most fulfilling days I'm not satisfied what's wrong with me does your work always satisfy you no matter how much you may love it well what's wrong with you or how about money Does everyone have enough money? Well, that question was asked to one of the richest men in our history. His name was John D. Rockefeller, and at the time of the height of his wealth, he had so much wealth, he represented 1% of the entire United States economy. Or to put that in real terms for us now, he had more money in those days, in those terms, than Warren Buffett and Bill Gates combined today. Enormously wealthy man. And he was asked very famously, very famously, how much money is enough money? And do you remember what he said? Just a little more. What is wrong with him? But what's wrong with me? How come I never seem to have enough? And you can literally do this with anything. Success, performance, accomplishment, sex, stuff, wealth, health, self If I just had more, if God would just give me this, then I would be happy and I would be satisfied. Really? Have you not heard the song by the very famous philosophic band that says, I can't get no satisfaction? (laughs) Right? Maybe they were onto something there. Because it's true. It's not wrong to be hungry. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? Nothing. Because that hunger, that restlessness, to use the language of the New Testament, as we're learning about in our communities here at Grace, as we study the Sabbath, we're all restless. It's so hard even to rest because God has set eternity in our hearts, as Ecclesiastes from the Old Testament says. You are hungry, I am hungry, because we were created for more, more than just what another relationship can give us more than just the money in our bank account, more than just how fulfilling work can be, more than just how wonderful retirement or a vacation is. We could go on down the list. The reality is it's okay to be hungry. The real question is, how are you satisfying your hunger? Where are you finding your satisfaction from the hunger and the vacuum that only God can fill in your life through right relationship with Jesus Christ, that comes down to trusting Jesus to satisfy our deepest hunger. How do we do that? I mean, what does that really look like? And Jesus helps us. And one of the ways he helps us understand that is through this illustration right here. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is talking about what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God. And he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Which begs the question, so why would he use a child to illustrate believing faith? Well, what is childlike faith like? This really came home to me in a very practical way many, many years ago when Jamie and I first began to have our kiddos, and our our first child was our oldest daughter, Kiana, and I remember when Kiana was just a little shaver, she brought to me this toy that had broken, and she brought me this toy, and she handed me this toy and said, Daddy, fix it. Now, when your cute little girl comes to you and asks you to fix a toy, what do you do? You say, I'm a little busy now, can you come back? No, you say, of course, yes, I will fix it. I had no idea how to fix it. It was broken. First chance I got, I was going to sneak out and buy a new one because I didn't know how to, it was unfixable. But what do you tell your little girl when she asks you if you can fix something? You say yes. And she believed me. She walked away, and I heard her saying to herself, Daddy, fix it, as she nodded her head. Because she knew I would. That is childlike faith. A simple faith that chooses to trust whatever God says can absolutely be trusted. And there is a player in this story that is often overlooked. Who was it that brought to Jesus and the disciples the bread and the fish A boy, a child, and who was the most insignificant, overlooked, insufficient person in that culture? A child, because children were valued for what they could contribute necessarily to the existence of the family. In an agrarian society where most people are barely having enough food to get by each day, the value of kids was weighed in no small part by how much they could actually contribute to help feed the family. And here's this little kid who comes and brings the food to Jesus and the disciples. And I've thought about this story. What would this story have been like if he wouldn't have? Now, the way it's written in is you harmonize it with the other three gospels. He wasn't coerced to do this. I mean, Greek is a very, at times, nuanced but specific language. There's deliberate words, which is what the New Testament was written in. There's deliberate Greek words that could have been used to show that it was taken away from him or he was forced to give it up. Everything says he willingly gave it up. But you ever seen a kid when you ask them for something that they don't want to give up? What do they do? (laughs) Right? Instead, he gives it up. When it comes to trusting Jesus, what is he asking you to give up? Or to put it another way, what is it that Jesus is asking you to trust him with and you're doing this? Because we can all default to that. But the reality is that all that this boy gave up, he got back in abundance there would be no miracle if he wouldn't have given what he had. But he does, and he gets back more than he could have ever dreamed of. You see, some of you are missing out on the blessing of God because you won't trust him. He has put his finger on something in your life like he does with me at times, and you're doing this. And he asks you to do this and to trust him because he wants to bless you. He doesn't want you to just know about his power. He wants you to experience his power. But you have to trust him in order for that to happen. Let's come back to how this amazing story ends. So they see the sign, and by the way, this is the fourth miraculous sign that John's calling attention to. And signs in this gospel, the bottom line with a sign is that it points to a greater spiritual reality and so they get that this is more than just bread and fish going on here. And yes, this was a miracle, but this is something big's going on here. And so some of them at least think it's the prophet. And that's, that's a very reasonable, necessary thing for them to think. But in fairness to them, there were like six different messianic figures in the Old Testament that the people were looking for. And so this is the prophet that was talked about. In Deuteronomy 18 that I mentioned earlier that Moses said, hey, prophet's going to come after me. You need to listen to him. Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament said there would be a great teacher who would come to teach the people. In Genesis chapter 6, for those of you who know your Old Testament, in the order of Melchizedek, the great high priest would come, and a priest was someone who represented God to the people and the people to God. The suffering servant, mentioned all throughout the later half of Isaiah, is a messianic figure. The son of man, which by the way was Jesus' favorite self-designation but it wasn't a nickname it was a title reaching all the way back into the Old Testament to Daniel 7 this preeminent figure that would come that would have power and be worshiped and be equal to God because he was God and then there was the king not just a political king but the king of kings the Lord of lords the greatest of all kings and Jesus fulfills every single one of these not six messiahs one was always one and Jesus is it so they're kind of starting to get it but ironically they think they're promoting Jesus by making him a political king and instead they're actually demoting him because he's so much more than that you see The crowd wanted to follow Jesus on their terms. And they will reiterate those terms next week when we get in the next part of the passage. But that's the problem. You don't follow God on your terms. If you're truly following him, you follow on his. And you know what? His terms are way better than mine. And they're way better than yours. Because no one wants to bless your life more than God does. But we don't always believe that. And so in thinking through what it means to know and love and trust and follow Jesus on our terms, we will demote him. You know, in the culture itself, well, Jesus was a sage. Or he was a really wise man. Or he was a great moral example. Or he was an avatar. Or he was a a prophet. But Jesus is God. He fulfills all those promises we just looked at here. So if you think you're promoting him by declaring him to be a great more example or a great teacher, you're actually demoting him. Because the revolution that Jesus invites us into isn't a political one, it's a revolution of the heart. And you join the revolution, you become part of the revolution, you are changed by the revolution when you receive him into your life. I say this often and very deliberately so you do not add Jesus to your life, you make him your life, which means you follow him on his terms. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers who will trust and obey him even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't feel fair, even when he's left the scene and it feels like it. He never does, but sometimes it feels like it. He names the terms because he wants to bless us. So, have you demoted Jesus this morning and how you're following him? Or not following him? Is there something in your life where you're saying, I'm not sure I can trust you with that? Which we can all default to at times. But my friends, Jesus is not the divine genie who pops out of a bottle and gives us our terms and three wishes. He's not the divine life coach who gives good advice. He calls you and me to trust and obey him. He's not the divine therapist who just wants you to feel better at whatever cost. And by no means is he the divine enabler who wants to give you and me what we think we need when we don't. No one wants to bless your life and my life more than Jesus. The gospel is repent and believe, according to Mark chapter 2 in his gospel which means you change your mind, you change how you live, and choose to turn and follow him. And you stop settling for a life of sin and selfishness, which is what happens when we try to live life on our terms and not his. But don't take my word for it. I would like you to hear a story that I think captures so many of the things that we've talked about here. Lauren, would you come forward and and share your story? Lauren has been gracious enough to share her story with us this morning. She shared first hour. This is Lauren Piper. You and David, who we affectionately call Piper, joined our our family here a handful of months ago. David's our evangelism pastor. And uh, you're about to become a new mom here next month. And (laughs) and here you are. (laughs) Willing to come up here and share your story. So tell us your Jesus story. What what does it look like for you to trust Him?
2: Yes. Okay. So, very pregnant, have a pregnant brain. I'm going to go with my notes this time around. (laughs) Uh, First service, I was riffing, and pray with me that the Lord just uses that how He will. Um, But, so, I come from a broken home. I was five years old when my parents got divorced. And I don't remember exactly what she said, but I remember that my mom sat me down and communicated the gospel to me in the situation in a way that my five-year-old little heart could understand. She said something along the lines of, mommy and daddy aren't going to be together anymore. Things are going to be really hard and confusing and sad. But much of life can be that way because all people are broken including you and me, but God made a way to rescue us from the consequences of our brokenness. When we admit that we need Jesus and we trust in him and what he's done for us on the cross, he will save us, help us, and be with us through everything. She explained that we all need Jesus in our hearts and that he made us and loves us and wants to be with us, but we have to let him come in. And although I couldn't obviously articulate much at the time, I knew how I felt about this Jesus. I knew I needed him to save me, not just from the emotional pain or brokenness of my family, but my own brokenness. And I responded with, Mommy, I want Jesus in my heart. So she prayed with me that night, and I believe that God honored the cry of my little heart right then and there. I continued to grow in the knowledge of God. I attended church and Sparkies, I don't know. Many of you know what Sparky's, but (laughs) I memorized scripture, asked tons of questions, was baptized at the age of nine, attended youth groups whenever I could. I loved it all. But I began to crave making sense of things, Um, and I'd say I grew to love Jesus with my mind more than anything. It wasn't until I was 13 that my personal relationship with Jesus became so real to me. There was a specific moment, I remember, where I was trying to comfort my brother with the truth of the gospel. And it felt like God just began to gently say to me, yes, Lauren, speak speak this to him, but you need to hear this again, too, and let me speak it to you and find your rest in me. And it's hard to explain, but it really felt like it all just clicked. He was right there in the room with me. I just started weeping. It never felt so much joy and peace. It's like all that head knowledge I'd built up just made sense and all I wanted to do was be with him and to help others be with him too. So to go along with some of the points that you've just been sharing, I suppose I want to emphasize that my heart was very hungry. It always is. Um, But it was very hungry at the time to ease the emotional pain of the brokenness of this world and my circumstances Um, and the temptation of the enemy has always been to look to other things to satisfy that hunger, but God has been so faithful to test and grow my faith in ways that always reveal that he himself is the only one who can satisfy today. I'm glad that he is, and always will be faithful to complete the work. He begins, he is trustworthy to follow him on his terms and that he's making all things new.
0: Amen. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. I'm going to invite our worship team. Thank you. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And we just want to give you a chance to respond to what you've heard from Lauren's story, from from this passage here this morning. So, I'm also going to invite our prayer teams to come forward and our, our elders or staff who are available to step up and out to the sides. We're just continuing to try to elevate the safety and necessity and accessibility of prayer. You can pray with anybody here. But we, in particular, want to make ourselves available to you because. Seeking Jesus together is something we do in community. And all of us wrestle at times and even question if we can trust God. And it's exactly at those times when we need each other and need to come to him and be honest with him and lay that out before him. Or maybe there's a way you've been blessed and you you want to celebrate that this morning. We would love to share in that with you. So some of our crews off to the side up front here as we sing this worship set, please feel free to come and and pray with us. This is a safe place to do that. But as we we sing these songs together, what does it look like for you and me this morning to trust Jesus? Great is his faithfulness to you and, and to me. But sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we look around at what we see or, or what we feel, just it doesn't align with that. And it's in those moments it's so important that we choose to trust Him by remembering what we know and who we know, not necessarily what we see or even what, what we feel. This God wants to bless your life and mine, but he wants to do it on his terms. And his terms are way better than yours and mine. And so with that heart, with that reality in mind, I'd like to I'd like to bless you this morning with a prayer blessing that the Apostle Paul prayed over the Ephesian church. It's just, it's such an amazing prayer. And I would like to just pray this over you. If you want to close your eyes, let this sink in, however, you want to receive this, this is for you. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is his work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So go and live for him and trust him as he leads you along the way. Hope to see you next Sunday. Blessing on audio. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to
1: follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.